You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture and all things related to it. New episodes are released daily. For more information, check out glossahouse.com and subscribe to our channels on Spotify and YouTube. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I am Michael Halcom and this is a Fallacy of the Week episode. In this episode, uh, I want to talk about something that's been all over the sort of news lately, the Christian uh, media outlets lately, and uh, this was a message delivered by uh, the preacher named Alistair Begg. Um, maybe you've heard of this, but uh, he was on American Family Radio, he's, at, he's presented at the Shepherds Conference, and uh, now he's lost his place on both of those for his uh, pastoral counsel. Um, yeah, so if, you, uh, if you've if you perhaps heard of this, if you're watching, I'm going to show you, uh, there's an article in, in uh, Christianity Today about this, and um, it's been uh, taking the internet, the Christian internet anyways, by storm. Yeah, so here you go. Alistair Begg stands by LGBTQ wedding advice with sermon on Jesus' compassion. And um, yeah, he in this uh, someone the, the scenario was floated about uh, attending a same sex wedding or a trans wedding. Um, what are you supposed to do? And and he his advice was go, go to it and take a gift uh, so they know you love them. Um, yeah, so this is a this is a pretty big deal. Um, and. I want to talk about this. What should a Christian do in relation to uh, same-sex weddings, uh, weddings where transgender is involved, anything like that? Um, And uh, so that's what I'm going to talk about here. I'm not going to do the typical look at a meme like I usually do. That article is kind of what I'm dealing with. I want to share with you 11 implications, um, I think, for Christians. As regards attending a same-sex wedding, this will take a little bit. I'm going to deal with some fallacies in here too. This is fallacy of the week. We'll, we'll look at a number of them, but here are almost a, a dozen implications. Um, you know, I think when we're, we're talking about attending a gay wedding, even if we perceive it merely as an event, um, it actually, in reality, still holds really significant significant implications particularly within the context of religious beliefs, right? Um, In essence, when you attend a a gay wedding, a same-sex wedding, or any type of wedding where there's an aberration that is not a biological man and woman, um, even if it's just merely uh, perceived as attending, right, it can have really far-reaching implications for uh, how one's actions are interpreted by others, the messages that are conveyed by doing that, the impact on personal relationships and on religious communities too, like we're seeing with Alistair Begg. And so I think it's important for all individuals, especially Christians, to consider the um, consider carefully the implications of all this and to align their actions with um, solid, deeply held beliefs and values. And so what I'm going to offer in the following, as I said, are... Um, you know, 11 implications for attending a same-sex wedding as a Christian. And um, I'm going to show how attending as a follower of Christ, or I'm going to argue that attending as a follower of Christ is contrary 
to Christ. It's contrary to his teachings. It's contrary to logic itself, uh, among other things. So if you need to know what I'm going to argue, boom, there you go. But I got 11 points if you want to stick around. Um, and these are just implications, right? I want to start off by just talking about the symbolic implications of this. Um, I was alluding to this a moment ago, but, you know, participation in the event, regardless of the individual's personal beliefs about its legitimacy, uh, can be interpreted by people as tacit acceptance of or endorsement of same-sex marriage. Uh, weddings, right, are deeply... They're supposed to be deeply symbolic ceremonies, signifying the union of two individuals in the presence of the community, and often with religious rites. And so by attending uh, one of these weddings or ceremonies, whatever, events, whatever you want to call it, one may intentionally or even unintentionally communicate approval of a relationship that conflicts with traditional Christian teachings on marriage. And someone might say, you know, well, in God's eyes, the same-sex wedding is not a real wedding. It's just an event. So as a Christian, I'm not going to a real wedding. I'm just going to an event. Problem solved, right? Well, there are several fallacies in that kind of argument. First of all, we have semantic manipulation going on. That kind of argument attempts to redefine same-sex weddings as merely an event rather than a wedding you know, or a ceremony in order to justify attending it. Uh, and so I think this is kind of a manipulative tactic um, where we use language to seek to downplay the symbolic and social and moral and theological implications, among others. Right of participating in an event that contradicts one's religious convictions or one's religions or one's faith's con convictions, right? This is similar to um, uh, when a company refers like to mass layoffs in a memo as strategic restructuring or optimizing resources. Well, that's crap. We know what it really is, right? Call it what it is. Don't do that semantic manipulation stuff. We don't we don't deal with that, right? And so. That, that's just an attempt to put a positive spin on something that's otherwise negative, or in this case, unholy, right? Um, so another fallacy I think that's going on here is what we call false equivalence. This argument uh, equates a same-sex wedding with any other event, right? Suggesting that there's no distinction between attending a wedding ceremony that goes against one's beliefs or one's uh, doctrines or what one's denominations doctrines and attending any other social gathering or social event. And I think that's a gross oversimplification that ultimately ignores the unique significance and uh, symbolism of a wedding ceremony, uh, especially in the context of Christian beliefs about marriage. Here's another thought. Uh, I think circular reasoning is going on. Because that kind of argument, oh, I'm just attending an event, it presupposes its conclusion by asserting that a same-sex wedding is not truly a wedding in God's eyes. But it never provides any evidence or logical reasoning to support the claim. Instead, it assumes the validity of its own perspective without engaging with counter-arguments or alternative viewpoints. Either. And it's quite like saying, um, I don't know, Bob's trustworthy because he said he is. And we believe him because he's always honest. Well, that's all circular reasoning right there. Any reasonable person actually needs facts and evidence proofs that Bob's trustworthy before they trust him. Um, so I think 
another thing that's going on here is an appeal to personal belief. Because this argument relies on the speaker's personal belief that a same-sex wedding is not recognized by God as a valid marriage ceremony. However, uh, belief uh, alone, especially personal belief, doesn't constitute a sound basis for an argument, yeah? Especially when it's used to justify actions that may conflict with, you know, widely accepted moral principles or societal norms or religious principles or norms. That's like saying, um, I believe astrology works because I've seen it accurately predict events in my own life. You know, that kind of claim also can't stand on its own. It's anecdotal. It's, it's all it is. It's personal anecdote. So that that's the first thing, the symbolic implications. The second thing, I think there are lots of uh, social implications, important ones here. In, in many social circles, attendance at a wedding is seen as an expression of support and celebration for the couple up there. And in some cases, throuples, right? More than two people these days. So in uh, polygamy, right, is making a comeback under the name polyamory and so on and so forth. But, you know, in broader social context where acceptance of same-sex marriage is increasingly normalized, individuals may face external pressure from peers, from media, from cultural influencers and cultural influences to conform to what seems to be society's prevailing attitudes, probably really just the media's prevailing attitudes. But, you know, um, attendance then at a, a, a gay wedding, a same-sex wedding is an act of normalization too. Uh, Christians aren't supposed to normalize sin or participate in the normalizing of it. We are to be about sanctification, which is the eradication and over or eradication, not eradication, eradication um, of and overcoming of sin. And so there's definitely um, there's definitely a sense of social obligation or social pressure uh, to attend gay weddings at this point in time, at least in America and Western culture, um, even even among those who hold strong religious objections to the same-sex lifestyle. And so people, in fact, uh, may be ostracized for not attending. Someone, someone might say something like, um, you know, if I don't attend my family member's gay wedding, I'll be painted as a hateful bigot who's behind the times. Well, there are several fallacies inherent in such a claim, right? You have the appeal to consequences going on there. The argument implies that the consequences of being painted as a hateful bigot is the reason to attend the wedding rather than addressing the validity of the action itself, right? Rather than uh, addressing the validity of attending the wedding itself. They're appealing to the consequences of what might happen to them rather than the validity of the action itself. So it's fear-based and fear-driven. Uh, something else we see with that kind of argument is what's called an ad hom fallacy. That's where you're just labeling someone um, in an effort to sort of intimidate them, right? You label someone as a, a hateful bigot and you attack their character rather than engaging with the merits of their decision, their logic, their reasoning, their argument not to attend the wedding. Um, someone, you know, someone might watch this and start ad hom attacks. Oh, he's just a bigot for saying all this. He's behind the times, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's ad hom fallacy. Um, to the man is what that means in Latin or against the man, uh, really, right? They're going to attack the man. They're, the attack goes straight to the man, the person. Another thing that I think we 
another fallacy here is what we call the bandwagon fallacy, suggesting that, you know, oh, we need to attend the wedding and that that's necessary to avoid uh, being seen as behind the times, right? And it implies that that social acceptance should uh, dictate individual actions. And that's fallacious reasoning as well. So that's the, the social implications. That's the second implication. The third implication, witnessing implications. Even if someone attends with the intention of showing love and support for the individuals involved, the act of intending can still be interpreted as a form of tolerance for behaviors that are contrary to one's religious beliefs. Um, it, and it may be that in the short and long term, right, you're conveying a message that you're willing to hey, uh, right now I'm willing to overlook or set aside this theological conviction in the short term. Um, so maybe somebody's thinking, well, what about in the long term? What are they willing going to be willing to set aside, right? Um, and so if they're willing to compromise their faith on this, what might they uh, be asked to compromise uh, their faith on later? That's a very, uh, that's a, that's a very legitimate point and a very legitimate question. And so as a representative of Jesus Christ and his teachings, it's essential for believers to uphold the integrity of their faith and bear witness to the truth of Scripture. We can see that like in Matthew 5, uh, 13 to 16. And so attending a gay wedding undermines one's credibility as a follower of Jesus. And it dilutes the distinctiveness of Christian standards and the world increasingly at odds with biblical values. Here's a scenario, right? Um, a family member is uh, getting married and a believer is concerned about their own lack of attendance at, at the event, the wedding ceremony, um, damaging the future relationship. You know, and so the believer could even contend that not going will damage any future attempts to witness to the family member. Well, such thinking. I believe is fallacious. Uh, I think that kind of uh, reasoning, it has a false dilemma fallacy uh, embedded in it. And so um, it's suggesting that attendance at the wedding is the only way to, to maintain the relationship with the family member and have the opportunity to witness to that person in the future. That's not true. That's not true. It's a false dilemma, an either or, a false either or. There are actually numerous ways to maintain a relationship perhaps, and share one's faith without compromising one's belief by attending a wedding that goes against one's belief. I think there's a lack of consistency here, and that's really, really important. By attending the wedding, one could uh, be compromising their Christian convictions for the sake of maintaining the relationship. And that inconsistency could actually undermine the credibility of their witness to an even greater degree in the eyes of the one participating in the same-sex wedding. They could see it and think that the person's faith is weak, shifting with cultural whims, not grounded in firm principles, and so on. And so by attending the wedding, one is sending a message that they tacitly approve of or condone behavior that contradicts Christian beliefs. This compromises one's, uh, it compromises the integrity of one's witness, and it actually may do um, more to hinder uh, the ability to effectively communicate the gospel message in the future than going. Um, I think there's some misplaced priorities here too. Uh, prioritizing attendance at the wedding over fidelity to Christian teachings suggests a misunderstanding of the importance of faithfulness to God's commands. Um, while maintaining a relationship with 
one's family members may be valuable. It shouldn't come at the expense of compromising one's commitment to God and to biblical truth. If the family member loved you, they would understand and support you in the same direction you want to support them. You know, they, they would love you even if you didn't show up. Um, they would continue talking to you if, even if they didn't show up because they love you. And I think not going is actually true witnessing. Wedding ceremonies are, if nothing else, right, meant to put on public display and before an, a public audience, the two people's claims that they'll practice fidelity to one another. By not attending a same-sex wedding, one is witnessing to the gay family member about what real, true fidelity, fidelity to God looks like. And that's the most important fidelity. Um, and so we're thinking again about future opportunities for witnessing. Attending the wedding so as not to lose future opportunities to witness is in a sense playing God by trying to predict the future. Uh, one doesn't know the future. None of us know the future. And so um, we don't know what opportunities to witness to the same sex family member might or might not happen in the future. We don't know that. Genuine expressions of love and support and engagement in uh, this family member's life outside the wedding context can provide meaningful opportunities for sharing one's faith. A college mentor of mine has dealt with this in recent years. Uh, his daughter went off to college, and during her time there, um, she entered, this is a Baylor, I think, entered into a same-sex relationship with her roommate, her female roommate. And when she came home and shared this information, uh, he told her he loved her, but that as long as she was living that way, she wasn't welcome back home. After eight months or so went by, it's going to sound sounds harsh to a lot of people, but after eight or so months went by, one weekend day, she showed up. She said she was missing the family so much. She ended that relationship. She repented. And so in this case, standing firm in one's witness provided them with the opportunity to nurture future repentance in that person's life and be there and witness um, uh, in a future scenario, right? Uh, another implication is the relational implications, which we, we kind of just touched on a little bit, but attending uh, a same-sex wedding may may strain all sorts of relationships, uh, even those within religious communities or with individuals who hold firm com convictions against same-sex marriage. It could also lead to questions about one's faithfulness to religious principles, as we've talked about, and potentially create tensions and divisions within other social circles too, friend groups, coworkers, online, you know, so on and so forth. Love for individuals who identify as LGBT, whatever, does not equate to condoning or participating in activities that scripture identifies as sinful. True love seeks the highest good for others, which includes gently but firmly standing against behaviors that lead to spiritual and emotional harm. You can read that in Ephesians 4.15, for example. You know, in some contexts, um, a same-sex person um, who has children, right? They maybe had biological children before when they were in a heterosexual uh, circumstance or they may have adopted children, right? They may actually uh, threaten to withhold children um, from having relationships with those who refuse to attend the wedding. Like, oh, you know, mom and dad, you're not going to attend. You're never going to see your grandkids, that kind of thing. It's relational blackmail. Um, and, and someone might say, you know, I have to go to the wedding or they're never going to let me see my grandchildren again. 
Well, that's an appeal to fear, which is a fallacy. Uh, and it's an argument that relies on the fear of losing contact with grandchildren as a reason to attend the wedding, rather than addressing the actual ethical or moral implications of attending the wedding and the actual ethical and moral implications of the person blackmailing you. So this fear, it may indeed be real. I don't want to discount that. Nevertheless, fear shouldn't be the determining factor or the driving motivation in how we live. Fear shouldn't lead to compromise of convictions. This kind of emotional manipulation seeks to pressure people into a decision based on fear rather than reasoned consideration and really rather than loving consideration. There's also an appeal to consequences again here, right? Like the appeal to fear, this argument appeals to the consequences of not attending the wedding, losing uh, contact with grandchildren, for example, rather than addressing the morality or appropriateness of attending the event. It focuses on the potential negative outcomes rather than the ethical considerations involved in the decision. And that's what's important. All right, point number five out of 11, we're, we're moving along here. This is the fifth implication. It's the theological implications. You know, as a faithful Christian, uh, our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Allegiance to him means, in large part, obedience to his teachings and commands, which are found in Scripture. Jesus, as Scripture states, unequivocally defines marriage as a union between one man and one woman. Genesis 2.24 talks about that. Matthew uh, 19.4-6 talks about this. Jesus shares his view, right? So attending a gay wedding would contradict this foundational principle of Christian belief and compromise one's allegiance to Jesus. This is also to say, you know, I know better than God who created men to be with women. I know better than him. Men can be with men. Women can be with women. Someone could also say, you know, Jesus loves all people. That means Jesus loves gay people. And as such, one way to show people, uh, gay people that he loves them would be to attend their wedding. I'm just doing what Jesus would do by going. Well, that's also problematic for several reasons. It kind of like is the Alistair Begg uh, kind of thing there. And so maybe we could call this the fallacy of Alistair begging the question. Um, so there is a begging the question here, right? Because the claim presumes that attending a gay wedding is a demonstration of love and support without actually providing evidence or argumentation to support that claim. One could attend weddings for all sorts of reasons, right? Not just because you love and support people. You could attend weddings to crash them, to get free meals, to try to find a date, a significant other. You could go out of obligation, you know, there, rather than support. So on, so on, and so on. Um, I, I think we also see in this kind of reasoning an argument from silence and an appeal to authority. <clears throat> One places themselves on par with Jesus here by arguing that, hey, they're just doing what he'd do. And that's an argument that gives authorization or seemingly gives authorization to attend. The problem is it's an argument from silence and there's no proof that exists that can show that Jesus would have attended. We don't have that proof. But we do have proof that he wouldn't have attended. He wouldn't have. And we have lots of proof for that, cultural proof, scriptural proof, all sorts of things. Um, another fallacy uh, here is the non sequitur. The conclusion that Jesus would attend a gay wedding doesn't logically follow from the premise that he loved all people. That's like someone saying, you know, hey, uh, after watching several movies about how laptops were built, I've decided I should start eating healthier. Okay, 
it doesn't even make sense, right? There's one or more obvious disconnects between the premise and the conclusion there. I think we also have cherry picking going on here. Um, this is the act of choosing certain aspects of Jesus' character or his teachings, like for his love for all people, to support a particular viewpoint I have, right? Attending a gay wedding. I don't have that, but, you know, someone else might have. So you're going to pick and choose what you want out of Jesus's teachings to support your own point while ignoring, and it's important, while ignoring other aspects that may contradict or complicate the argument. This is like a, a politician, you know, selectively quoting from an economic report and emphasizing the positive aspects that support their agenda while at the same time ignoring the negative findings that contradict their stance. All right, on to point six or implication six, moral implications. You know, um, just as I would not attend a wedding that celebrates any other form of sexual immorality condemned uh, in scripture and historic Orthodox Christianity, such as adultery, incest, you know, I can't in good conscience participate in a ceremony that celebrates a union that scripture clearly identifies as sinful. You can read about that, I mean, obviously, clearly in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. They're not inheriting the kingdom of God if they're practicing that. For example, um, at weddings, the officiant asks, If anyone has any reason why these two should not be joined together, speak now or forever hold your peace. So not speaking, while at the same time having reasons that they shouldn't be together, is lying to oneself. It's deceit. It's an affirmation. It's a public affirmation by not speaking, and it's entering into an agreement with that couple. So uh, to fail to tell someone the truth that they're living in sin when you're given the opportunity, and when in fact they are, is not to love them. That is, it's not to want God's best for them, or to nurture an environment where God's best can take place. It's not. It's doing the opposite. It's allowing the opposite. You know, there's also an appeal to privacy going on in that kind of claim. This is the view that because something is private or personal, oh, it can't be judged or criticized by others. This fallacy ignores the, the broader societal implications and, and moral considerations, too, um, of certain actions or behaviors, such as those related to homosexuality, which can then have implications beyond individual privacy. Um, that, you know, that used to be uh, the play, but with always in mind, or with, um, but always with that fact in mind that it was only the first step, right? If you read the, the book, um, uh, I think it's After the Ball, um, it's either Before the Ball or After the Ball by Kirk and Madsen, they talk about this already in like early 1980, that the first step, right, um, is, is getting people... Uh, the, the end goal is full-on affirmation, acceptance, participation, allies. Um, but the first step, right, is to just get people to warm up to it, to, for it to be normalized. And you, you can do that by making by appealing to it being private or social. So that's always been sort of the first play, um, knowing that there's a much larger end goal. And by the way, playing the victim card has been a key part of this. And Kirk and Madsen spell this plan out in the 1980s, and they've worked it to a T, and look where we are. Um, a lot of people don't know about that that book by them, but, man, they also have some articles. Um, do a search on that if you need to and, and check out that research. 
Um, there's also a red herring involved here. By diverting attention to the concept of privacy, it distracts from the actual moral or ethical debate about homosexuality and same-sex weddings themselves, right? It shifts the focus away from the issue at hand by introducing a sort of tangential argument about privacy rights. Now, you, you might see this kind of thing, for example, during a discussion about something like healthcare reform, where you know a politician deflects attention from the topic by bringing up a recent crime in the city. You know, which is unrelated to the policy or the issue being discussed. You see it all the time at these political debates. All right, implication seven, biblical implications. Um, by attending a gay wedding, um, I or anyone else would be perceived as endorsing and celebrating a lifestyle and relationship that scripture condemns um, as contrary to God's design for um, for human sexuality. We see that in Romans, again, 126-7. Silence or passive acceptance in these kinds of matters, as I've said already, can be interpreted as complicity uh, in, in promoting behavior that goes against God's word. Um, some might say, you know, I don't agree with gay marriage, but I don't. I, I do want to support my loved ones. I do. I I agree with that. Supporting my loved ones. I'm not doing the former by going, but I'm doing the latter, right? Um, and so this is this is just rationalization. It tends to rationalize attending a gay wedding by separating personal beliefs from actions. Again, that personal, another sort of personal fallacy. And, and the the person the the personal beliefs when they're separated from actions, they're not going to align logically. Right. Um, so someone might say, look, I know it's wrong to cheat on my diet, but hey, I had a stressful day at work, you know, uh, so I deserve this ice cream. That's rationalizing. It's doing away with the logic. Right. You also have kind of an appeal to emotion going on here. It appeals to the desire to support loved ones as a way to justify attending the wedding. Um, and it's also appealing to emotions rather than logical reasoning. We're on eight now. Personal implications. While we respect the autonomy and choices of others, we must also maintain our personal boundaries that align with our deeply held religious beliefs. Just as we would expect others to respect, you know, us, you know, we have our own convictions, we have to uphold our own standards um, of faithfulness to Jesus, to God's revealed word, uh, Jesus, and to God's written word, Scripture. If we go against our convictions and attend a same-sex wedding, we have to live with that on our conscience going forward. It's a public sin. Uh, number nine, implication nine, emotional implications. Those advocating for attendance at gay weddings may employ manipulative rhetoric, uh, framing refusal as unloving, intolerant bigoted, right? They may dismiss opposing views as outdated and irrelevant, seeking to discredit uh, dissenting voices and, and silencing opposition through social stigma or public shaming. Individuals may exploit personal relationships and emotional bonds to coerce others into attending a gay wedding against their beliefs and convictions. They may appeal to sentiments of love, of loyalty, of family unity, framing refusal to attend as a betrayal of rejection of those involved in the wedding, which is a farce. It's a farce, a total farce. Many people want to attend to show their loved ones that they love them, yet 
If by not attending, the loved one uses emotional manipulation or blackmail, it's clear they're not extending love back in the opposite direction. And that, as I said already before, should raise flags. Two more points here, two more implications. Number 10, ecclesiastical implications. This flows in both directions. The topic of attending a gay wedding can sometimes become a point of contention within religious communities. And unfortunately, some individuals may use their personal convictions to hold others hostage or manipulate them into conforming to a particular stance. In liberal religious communities, the decision not to attend a gay wedding may result in social ostracization or exclusion. Those who hold differing views might even be marginalized or treated as outcasts, leading individuals to feel isolated or compelled to conform in order to maintain social connections. Now, on the conservative side of things, by being present at the event, individuals will be perceived as affirming the relationship and the legitimacy of the same-sex marriage within society. And that can have ramifications, like for Alistair Begg, for how one is perceived within their own religious community, among friends and broader society, so on. Attending that wedding breaks with 2,000 years of church history. And if you want to go back beyond into the Old Testament, even uh, more thousands of years, right, um, of the claims of scripture. It, it goes against the teachings of Jesus and it damages the global church as well as the local church. I've seen it firsthand so many times. Uh, I've seen it uh, ravage the United Methodist Church, which I was a part of for a long time. And I'm seeing it really uh, creep in and devastate the Church of the Nazarene at the moment. The final thing, point 11, um, natural and bodily implications. Perhaps we could add 12 here um, by splitting those in two, but you know, I just want to say engaging in same-sex sexual activities is detrimental to the body. The Apostle Paul says that sexual sins are the worst of the sins of the worst sort because they're against the body, one's own body and another's body. Paul also said that homosexuality is unnatural and ungodly. Thus, to go to a same-sex wedding is to affirm this unnatural and ungodly way of life. That's the 11 points. And so in response to these implications, I think it's essential for individuals to maintain clarity and conviction in their own beliefs, um, not just their own beliefs, but in the beliefs of the, the church historic, right? Christians have to remain grounded in a sincere commitment to biblical truth and moral integrity. While navigating differing perspectives within religious communities can absolutely be challenging, it is crucial to prioritize, you know, as we do this, mutual respect, empathy, understanding, uh, even amidst disagreement, but also boldness and courage and loyalty and steadfastness. So we got to strive to uphold our convictions with grace and humility, and we also got to avoid coercion or manipulation in matters of conscience. And so I'll just say this and end, you know, um, I think attending a gay wedding contradicts, contradicts biblical principles. I think it compromises moral integrity. I think it undermines the witness of faithful Christians and Christianity. And so I must, uh, I must respectfully decline participation in such events while maintaining love and compassion for all individuals, including those with whom I may disagree on matters of faith and morality. Would this still be my stance? Uh, even if the person um, engaging in a same-sex marriage was my own family member or child? Yes, absolutely. That changes nothing. 
The word of God doesn't change based on my kids' feelings or my kids' action. The word of God is sure and stands sure forever. And that will be my stance because that's where I'm standing with and on the word of God. All right. Um, I'm going to stop there, friends, and say I hope that helps. Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.